We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay. And I watch the cutscene, and I run into Craig's office, and I'm like, it's the same! It's the same! <laughs> You're not my daughter. I'll throw it back to Neil Druckmann. He believes so much in negative space. In the game, that is very violent. In the show, it's played very differently. Craig basically said one word. He said emotion. The Last of Us video game for me is my Star Wars. Therefore, with HBO turning my favorite story into a TV show, I was protected. Because they brought in Neil Druckmann, the creative director of the game, and Craig Mazin, who brought us Chernobyl, there were some similarities and some fascinating changes. And as editors, we needed to know how all of that happened in the cutting room. And so we asked the editors of the show, what were some of the creative choices you guys had to make in terms of acknowledging the game, but then also still giving the show its own identity? Ooh, this is really fun. Yeah. Um, you're gonna like this. Because of this podcast, I got to interview one of my literal dream guests, Simon Smith, who edited Andor. But the plot twist is, as we finished the interview, my SD card failed. However, there was a cloud recording and the footage was saved because of Riverside. All the remote interviews we've had have been recorded with Riverside. Ryan Trahan, Euphoria, and even the team at Pixar have all been in our Riverside studio. But the best thing is that Riverside recordings are significantly better video and audio quality than anything we've ever used. The magic is that the interview is actually recorded locally. So if the internet bugs out, if anything happens, we still have the recording. Riverside is also great for us editors because they get each of our cameras and audio as separate recordings. There's no need for us to download and re-upload. Podcast operations made easy. So go to the link in the description and use code EDITINGPODCAST for 20% off. I had not played the game. I generally am not a video game person. I don't really have time to play the game or research. And sometimes you don't want to know what's coming because you can have a fresh perspective on it. What are you doing? Killing time. Well, what am I supposed to do? I am sure you will figure that out. But I had edited their interaction very tersely. What are you doing? And they were overlapping each other. And Killing time. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm sure you'll figure that out. Jumping on each other's lines. And that's like what I feel is very real. But then Craig would say, oh, that's cool. I like that. That's fresh, but, you know, totally uh, like the game, but different. And then I'm just going to put my little tiny little thing back in. It's the moment where Ellie says, your watch is broken. Your watch is broken. I had cut it in such a way that she says it on camera and he responds. It's sort of in more of a regular shot, reverse shot. And mm. Craig's like, uh, you know, there's, I think that we shot it from the perspective of the couch where you see Joel. That was like a really sense memory moment for me in the game that I really remember that it was all in one shot. Your watch is broken. Since I would love to just put that in. Your watch is broken. I know for a fact, like the first version you made would definitely work. But I think for those who had also experienced the game, yeah. I would imagine even for me, it's like, wait, this wasn't paced the same way as the game. And I'd be yeah. like, what? For me, it was kind of fun because I just didn't know. So I yeah. didn't know what I was trying to live up to in a way. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of people who haven't played the game. And I'm always thinking about my mom and my dad, and I want them to like be able to follow this without having to think about what is the subtext of the game and what, what is about the game, but is it a good story? Then, 
I talk to Emily here and I say, oh, Emily, we're going to be doing The Last of Us. And Emily goes. I was freaking out because I, <laughs> I had played the game. I knew the story and I said to Tim, I was like, Tim, we have to do this. And what was fun then is that I, I then recognized that this could be a really interesting dynamic between the two of us. What details from the game, since you're a huge fan and you played it, made it into the show? In episode three, there's a scene where Ellie and Joel start like packing up stuff. We had lots of footage of this, like for a big montage. Oh my like, gosh. And so there's a moment where she pulls out that red shirt that's like really iconic from the yeah. game. And I had said to Tim at the time, I said, that's really important because that is an iconic shirt. Everyone's going to know what it is and we have to show her finding it. So that was one of the examples. Yeah, so I, I was like, of. all right, I understand now that this has to stay. And then what would happen is I would, you know, Emily was the first audience for every scene. And I don't, because I always bring her and I say, have I messed this up? Is it okay? <laughs> and so she would watch things and go, oh, that's good. I like that. And, and then she'd point things out and she'd go, oh, that's like the game. And I go, oh, oh, whoa, what do you mean? What's like the game? She's like, oh, you're, you're using this following shot behind Joel. And that really made me have this sort of sense memory of being in the game. And I said, mm -hmm. aha, interesting. So then I started learning about how the game was sort of put together. And then I started to be able to sort of suss out a way that was allowing me sort of information about how the game was constructed. This is really showing an interesting dynamic in terms of making adaptions work. I think having someone with fresh eyes treating this as a traditional narrative and as someone who is also very passionate about the existing material, you get both ends of that spectrum and you, and you find a really, really good place to meet in the middle. Seeing that red shirt would have meant nothing to you. Yeah, you I didn't see, know. Yeah. I was like, what's yeah. that? You seen a red shirt, you got like that. That's like the yeah, nerd out moment. I know. Yeah. And then you went to sim, like, no, this is important yeah. to have in. One of the things I find that also the most interesting is the game has this great limitation, whereas like, you're seeing the whole experience through Joel's perspective. With TV, you have the ability to shift perspective. One of the more interesting changes is the ending scene with Henry and Sam. Ah, yeah. In the game, when Henry does choose to take his life, we cut to Joel. It's from Joel's perspective. <laughs> and then it cuts to black. But in this case, it cut to Ellie. And we held on Ellie. And I think that was one of the moments I thought was actually a really, really beautiful change. The overall feelings that we have about the series as a whole is that the violence, in general, the violence is not shown. Mm -hmm. uh, the violence is implied and or we try to protect you from the violence because the violence is not the point. Yeah. The point is what caused it. And so we tried very much to hide the violence. There was a point where I changed it to seeing Joel when he pulls the trigger. But that included the gunshot because it included Henry in the shot. Then you, we would have had to make you see violence. And so it made more sense. And I think you made changes on the yeah. scene at the end and yeah. you had put it back to the uh, uh, to having it be Ellie. Yeah. So yeah, we decided to take out that shot because we just didn't need to see it. That's interesting. So even for you with your relationship with the game, you realized that this was also a better creative choice in the nature of the show. Yes, I had totally agreed with that. And I mm. think it really worked out for me. It helps narratively a lot where it's uh, as it's been building up towards also the uh, the sub theme, which is like the fear of failure. It's all I've ever done. It's failure again. I think it helps a lot with Ellie creating an interesting emotional parallel where she's now failed. Mm -hmm. And especially kind of creates a really interesting closer relationship where we do see where Ellie has failed this time alongside with Joel. It kind of just makes their relationship a lot stronger as well. And a lot of this stuff comes from the cinematography as well. Prior night, I remember editing the scene between Sam and Ellie. And then there was this beautiful lamp in the middle that was the only light 
And there were times when Ellie would cross into the light. As someone who has studied a lot about art history and religious iconography, I recognize it immediately as like, this is like someone who believes that they are a savior. And she's been told that she's been a savior this whole time. You're special, you're important, you're this. And then so she feels at that moment to, that she wants to be the protector of Sam, having him be uh, younger in the, the series version versus in the game version, I understand he was an older, but having it be a younger person, I think was a really interesting choice because it allowed her to have that. I'm trying out being a parent. So I'm seeing what it's like to be Joel. And then again, like, as you said, for her to have failed, not just once because she promised to stay up with him and she yeah. didn't, yeah. but then to truly fail. <laughs> what, what, what did I do? That is, I think, one of the more poignant and very deep change. Also creating really, really beautiful narratives and parallels that deepens the relationship with Joel and Ellie. Of course, since the TV, there's, there's a lot of the narrative and the structure of it has changed. And a lot of the dialogue has changed to also be more adaptive towards television. But there are a few scenes that are literally script lifted from the game and then recreated perfectly into the show. One of the examples, it is Ellie confronts Joel in Jackson. Is this really all they had to worry about? Boys, movies, deciding which shirt goes with which skirt. Is this really all they had to worry about? Boys, movies, deciding which shirt goes with which skirt. <laughs> I did not know it was an important scene, <laughs> which was sort of fun. So I didn't know necessarily how the cut scene was, and it was pretty close. Don't tell me that I would be safer with someone else because the truth is I would just be more scared. So don't tell me that I'd be safe with somebody else because the truth is I would just be more scared. I'll throw it back to Neil Druckmann right now because he's such a creative and cinematic filmmaker and he believes so much in negative space basically is a nice way of saying no dialogue and just emotions and faces because what happens in the negative spaces is that the audience is able to connect with the direct emotions of the characters faces as opposed to having to process what they're saying sim simultaneously which divides your brain but for that moment to really work a lot of it was about me looking on their faces to see how they felt after the lines were said versus before you're not my daughter you hang. So if you're watching someone have a reaction and there's no words, you're able to really dial in on that emotion. That sequence really was done in such a nice way I, in the game, I believe. You're not my daughter. That the choices I made had a similar inception point. You're not my daughter. Because it, it made sense to me as to doing it that way. But then for me, it was sort of important architecturally to tell the story. Seeing them in the wider frames together, I thought critical because you saw the distance between them and then you felt the tension between them as she basically shoves him and pushes him away. Everybody fucking except for you. Everyone fucking except for you the wider frames, it's almost a little bit dirtier. That seems to be the interesting insight, I think, whereas like Neil Druckmann, with his experience making the game, yeah. was able to give you that insight of negative space. And I think just that small little bit of influence helped you make your creative choices, yeah. but it still gave you enough freedom to be making your own choices. So it's not a perfect frame recreation, it's still your creative choice. I think that's the, the, the brilliance of both of them, of both Craig and Neil, is that they would say to people like, listen, we love this, we love this, we are, we want to make this, we want to make it great. Mm -hmm. But we also know that in order to make it great, we can't do it by ourselves. And so we're asking you as our collaborators to please bring all of yourselves. That's so funny you talk about negative space because when I watched the first episode, I was so terrified that I turned the sound off yeah. and I still got like 
all the emotion. Just yeah. like on the actors' faces. And I was like, what? That's what I call the airplane cut. That's I love crazy. the airplane cut. The yeah. airplane yeah. cut has to work. A slight quick tangent, because this, this, this has been a big debate. With the airplane crashing and the wheel, have you heard of this about this debate? No, what is the debate? It ricochets off the building into their truck, and then their truck goes upside Wait, down. Wait, what? I thought Wait, it goes into the, the building. It breaks the back windshield. No, that's <laughs> coming into the car window. No, watch. <laughs> it bounces off the wall. And a piece of debris flying straight at them, goes through the windshield, crash, right there, breaks yeah. through the windshield. Yeah, in the windshield. Bonks her in the back of the head, <laughs> knocks her out, and then she wakes up. Because they're on her oh, still. Oh, you thought it looked that was inside the vehicle? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, the general feeling and, and what I think happened, uh, what we designed to happen, was that the wheel flies off and hits the building mm. and then hits the bottom of the car. And then that causes the car to flip over. In fact, if you take a look at the last four or five frames of it, there is a little jump cut that shows Sarah flipping over. That was filmed months later because they wanted to make sure that we understood that it was a, it was the, the car had been flipped. They call it the washing machine shot. Well, it was a quick tangent. Cause I, mean, there was I a, love there, it. There's a VFX YouTube channel that had that debate. They, they yeah. weren't so sure about it. So I'm going to send that to them personally. Absolutely. <laughs> Hello. Cheeky segue. <laughs> we just wanted to take a moment to let you know about some of our favorite products. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Get funding for your content. That's it. That's what Creative Juice can offer. Juice funds have helped creators upgrade their gear, hire editors, or start the podcast they've always dreamed of. Which was amazing for us because we uh, really underestimated how expensive a podcast is. It's a lot of beans. But what's really exciting about Juice, though, is that you stay in total control of your content. Which is awesome because it's only you that knows exactly what you need for your channel. Juice just supports you with funding and resources. Think invoicing, expenses, income, and more. Let Juice automate the busy work of your business so you can do what you do best creating. 70% of Juice Fund's creators used funding to build out their teams. And so you could use those funds to, well, hire an editor. Wait, we're editors. We're editors. You could hire us. Go to the link in the description and sign up for Juice today at getjuice.com slash getfunding. We need to have a serious conversation. I need you to stop spending your entire day looking for music that actually isn't even that good. But Track Club is actually full of bloody great music. Their entire library is banger after banger and mash. We also know that audio is essential for creating an emotional world for your audience. This is why beyond having great music, Track Club has Mixlab, which allows you to use stems to customize it to your situation. For example, there's this documentary song that I really liked that sounded hopeful. But if I soloed the vocals, that sounded scary. Or I just used the mallets to create a build. And Track Club makes it super simple to avoid copyright strikes. Paste your channel's URL into Track Club and Bob's your uncle, your videos will be cleared automatically. My uncle's name's Dave. Guess what? They're offering your first month for free. So go to the link in the description and get your free month of Track Club today. One of the most important scenes that had to be a very faithful recreation also was the final scene. Back in Boston. Back when I was bitten. I wasn't alone. Back in Kansas City, you asked me about the first time I killed someone. When I got bit in the mall, I wasn't on my own. 
My best friend was there. She got bit too. How was it in terms of the comparison between the game and the show? Yeah, that seems very important to me because it's the last one I did. Yeah. Um, and I waited. I said, I don't want to do the scene until it's over. Um, because I just feel like I need to have all of the context of what's happened. For this specific scene, uh, Craig actually came to me and said, you know, maybe for this one you should watch the cutscene. It's really important. I said, yeah, I see, I see, okay. And then five minutes later, I just said to myself, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't done it this whole time. I'll watch it afterwards and I'll, I'll do any changes I think are right. And he says, yeah, sure, go ahead. Swear to me. Swear to me that everything you said about the fireflies is true. I swear. And so when I put it together, watched it, I said, I'm really happy with how the scene is. Now I'm going to watch the cutscene. Swear to me. Swear to me that everything that you said about the fireflies is true. I swear. And I watch the cutscene, and Emily will <laughs> attest. Run into Craig's office, and I'm like, it's the same! It's the same! <laughs> and when he saw it, he was like, well, this is really cool. A couple of minor adjustments here and there, but overall, it was pretty much the same, and I was very happy with it. I swear. I swear. The timing feels very similar. I think just the feel of it feels very similar. I would even say in sense, the final shot on Ellie, when it goes to a close-up. Okay. Okay. Bella is just tremendous. So every take had layer upon layer of her thought process as the character of Ellie, as like, I don't trust what he's saying. I don't know if I believe him. Why was I in these hospital gowns? This doesn't make sense what he's saying. I don't, I know him enough now to know that something's wrong. Specifically in the, the edit, when he starts walking towards Jackson and she's like, Hey, wait. And he turns around and she's like, oh, fuck. I shouldn't do it. And at that moment, there was a beautiful piece that I found on Pedro sort of takes a breath where he kind of knows that she knows. She's got me. She's totally got me. And then she starts saying, Back in Kansas City, you asked me about the first time I killed someone. I love this piece that he did where he's like, maybe I'm off the hook. Okay. And then he looks off and looks back and then starts to like be really interested. It's like, okay, I'm going to listen to her now. But then, you know, he becomes that parent to her. And then it was Tess and then Sam. That's not on you. I know. It Look, sometimes things don't work out the way we hope. He can feel like like you've come to an end. And in order for her to keep going, she has to trust the person that she's with. And trusting the person, and, and what did Maria say? Be careful who you put your faith in. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. Look, sometimes things don't work out the way we hope. And that's gotta be in her mind at this point. Mm -hmm. So she's literally going, I don't know if I believe him. That's what brings in that change where I think the love that he had was like he was kind of honest with Ellie. And then his love then became selfish. That does bring in a really interesting angle that I, I think is kind of not really explored that much in narrative. And I think that's why this show feels very refreshing is because it actually is raising the question, love can grow, love can build, love can do incredible things, but love can also destroy. This show as a narrative explores how love destroys love for himself he's got a daughter back and he doesn't want to lose it in a sense protecting himself for ellie to not know the truth stops being honest with her 
And that changes the whole dynamic. And that's, I think, how Ellie figures out what's changed and what figures out the actual truth. Yeah, I agree with you. It also harkens back to the scene with the giraffes. He's like, we can get out of here. We can just leave. We don't have to do this. This is important. We're finishing this. This is what I want. We finish what we started. And then Marlene even says, because I think she'd want to do what's right. And he still takes the decision that he takes, which is, nope, she's mine. Yeah. And that's where love destroys. But then this also brings me into what I think was the most beautiful changes that I think really does explore the theme of the show. We see how love destroys with Joel during what we would call the massacre sequence in the final episode. In the game, that is very violent. And it's kind of, to an extent, played as an action sequence. In the show, it's played very, very differently. Craig basically said one word. He said emotion. He says, rage. And that's what I'm looking for. The build of that sequence was really important because we wanted it to be so tense when he was being dragged out. I believe the audience is then going, what is he going to do given this information? We didn't tell her. We didn't cause her any fear. There won't be any pain. No, you take me to her. You take me to her right now! That if he tries to do anything, they're going to kill him. And if he does nothing, they're going to kill her. Downstairs. One of the things that I wanted to do is to create not just a sense of tension, but an emotional tone. And so as the character of Joel's being forced down the stairs, I said, all right, here's the deal. We have to endure it with him. And we have to endure it in this sort of almost metaphysical space where he's wondering, how in the world am I going to get out of this? But at the same time, he's almost in a, a fugue state. And then at a certain point, he just stops and says, that's it. I've got to do something, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to basically explode. Walk. There were cuts were very fast, uh, and do it in such a, sort of a sharp manner to make sure that Joel was extra violent in that moment. But again, typical of how we've approached the show, you don't necessarily see all of the violence happen. When the gun shots happen, the camera immediately pans off of these characters. Because it's about being able to experience the rage of the character versus the violence that is shown. The violence would be distracting. It would be distracting, exactly. And so it's more about how he is starting this rampage. It's come from a place where he's made the decision that he's going to get her or die. And there's nothing that can stop. And these are all the good people. These are all the people who were supposed to be helpers. They're supposed to be the ones that are on our side. And they're the ones who are taking my child. And it doesn't matter who they are because I'm going to go right through them. And so to make that sequence in this operatic way... And I saw that shot of him lift the rifle up. And I was like, oh man, that is the moment where he's like, it's over. As soon as he starts firing, we start entering Joel's headspace and the rage he's feeling. And so it doesn't feel like an action sequence per se. And of course, as any good filmmaker would do, they would shoot things where people were firing and ducking and this and that. Craig was sort of specific. He said, I don't, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is seeing someone actually move in such a way that he is a predator. He's going to do whatever it takes. He's not going to be scared of being hurt. He's going to almost welcome it. I would look out for every single piece like that. It immerses yeah. you in his headspace. Yeah. Everything sort of stemmed from that and utilizing the poetry of Nadim Carlson, the DP, you know, the director, Ali Abbasi, had filmed all of these pieces 
of Joel's shoes. Neil Bryant, the camera operator, who's such an elegant camera person, able to sort of elegantly move with Joel's character. And so those pieces really stuck with me as a, as a way to travel through this montage of, of, of Joel's rage of a parent who will stop at nothing to rescue their child as this sort of avenging angel. And then at that point, it was about allowing the music to start to join in operatically with Joel's increasing escalation of violence. And then we started utilizing jump cuts. We started usually pushing forward in time, showing the result of the violence, not the violence itself. And you would just hear the gunshots in the background. And then finally, you get to that last gun. It was musically important to me to not allow the music to resolve, but to sort of hang and then allow it to hang. And then once the, you see the words pediatric surgery, the score changes. And it becomes an Ellie and a violin, and it becomes very much a character uh, piece of score. When he approaches the hallway, you hang, and then you felt his eyes had so much more longing in them. This is how the director and Craig designed it, was about being surrounded by the images of, of children, elephants on the wall, of monkeys, which were important to her. These little tiny details that we knew about, we were able to make sure that those were in his walk down the hallway. We just didn't want it to be fast. We wanted it to feel like this is the natural progression of his journey. And at the very end, Pedro enters into a silhouette. His face is framed against this light of the window. Again, it felt like he was an avenging angel. And that scene when he walks in the room, again, we're like walking in with him. We're not seeing what's happening until he's in there. You're seeing it through his eyes as he's kind of snuck into the back of the room. And then we're using a close-up shot of Ellie with the mask being taken off of her and they're saying she's ready for surgery. You feel this like simmering kind of anger and him trying to save her coming up. Unhook her. How did you get in here? I said, unhook her. I think what's cool is we have this montage where you're not really hearing a lot of these gunshots. They're all muffled, they were in his head. And then when he shoots this doctor, we're back in reality. And that makes that moment so shocking. He doesn't even hesitate, doesn't even think. And like, yep. those cuts are so quick. It's and so like, fast. This doctor's on school, not anymore. He has no hesitation, which was really important to Craig. And, and it does really shock. And we actually, I believe that you were like, yep, he's right. Yeah. It makes sense. I, I, I'm with him. That's incredible that you're able to create that logic within the audience. Yeah, yeah. the empathy of someone who's murdering people. It, yeah. yeah, it does make sense. The whole sequence makes sense. It's like the paternal instinct has been fully activated. Yeah. He is a dad who will protect. And I think I like, what was that? An avenging angel. The cuts kind of feel like he glides through. That's correct. That had to be a very faithful recreation. A lot of it is sort of behind him. So like we're following with him. We're like, we're, we're always in his space. You picked up on that and that mm. was part Part of the design by by Ali, by Nadim, mm -hmm. by Neil Bryant, by Craig, uh, by everyone, and then I I I picked up on it. And mm -hmm. again, at that point, I had edited so much of it mm -hmm. that it made sense for me to start doing it as though it were like the game because I'm mm -hmm. behind him. Yeah, and I'm using all of these pieces that now I've now been sort of supercharged. Yeah, uh, as someone who's now been populated by all this information by, about what the game was like. Uh, and and having my own experiences with it, it all, all melded together at that point. 